You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will, uh, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear a bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on, the, on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is God's word. I might need this. It's a microphone. Hi, friends. Next week, we turn the corner into our Advent series, but today we come to the conclusion of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus lands the plane, if you will, when he concludes, he makes it absolutely clear why the decision that you make about Jesus is the most important choice you will ever make. So let me pray for us all that our hearts would be open to receive the word of God today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark about what matters most in life. You have made the way plain and clear. This morning we ask that you would grant us the grace to choose what is right, and to continue making that choice on a daily basis. Pray for those here this morning who do not yet know you, those that have never made a personal decision to trust in your son Jesus, that today they would. And I pray for us as a church that we would be those who follow the way of Jesus.
keep us from the temptation to turn away or to drift, but keep us wholly focused on you. So as we open your word, would you open our hearts now by the power of your Holy Spirit? We ask these things together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I may have done poorly in physics in school, but I do know this. Trajectory is defined by three elements, the path, the object, and the action of forces. These elements together will determine the ultimate direction and destiny of the object. But thankfully, we're not here to learn about physics. We're here to talk about your life and my life. And surprisingly, these elements are also true about us. Our life trajectory involves a path. We are the object. And there are the actions and choices that we make. I find it interesting that all three elements are included in the closing of Christ's famous sermon. The path that we take is represented in the two roads. The nature of the object, us, is represented in the two trees and their fruit. And the actions that we take is represented in the building of two houses on two foundations. This morning, friends, we need to ask, where are we headed? Where is my life headed? What's going on in my heart and my soul? What am I investing in even now? See, all of these together show us why our decision about Jesus Christ absolutely matters. The way that Jesus speaks here makes it clear beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus, that the gospel is not another option in the marketplace of philosophies or religions or pieces of advice or suggestions or schools of thought. Jesus is claiming full-on exclusivity and authority and makes clear that what you decide about him will determine the whole trajectory of your life into eternity. And so he comes to the end of his sermon calling us to choose. You cannot be indifferent when it comes to Jesus. There is no neutrality, or as I like to say, there's no such thing as spiritual Switzerland. Like, well, I'm kind of neutral. There's no such thing. The way that he calls us to choose here at the end is by using this reoccurring theme of two alternatives and the need to make a choice. Two roads, two trees, two foundations. So why does your decision about Jesus matter? Why does my decision about Jesus matter? Number one, because there are two ways to approach eternity. There are two ways to approach eternity. Here at the conclusion, 
Jesus makes clear that there are two and only two paths set before us all. And so it is vital that we choose the right one. He says in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. One road, he says, is wide. It has a very spacious entryway. That is, it's roomy. It accommodates anything. Multitudes of ideas are welcomed on this path. But it leads to destruction. This is the road that we're all headed on by default. According to the Bible, by our own nature, born into this fallen world, we have turned away from God. We've tried to be God. We've put things in the place of God. It's what the Bible calls sin. And Jesus here is bringing us face to face with the consequences of our sin. Where does sin lead? If you turn away from God who created everything, he's the source of all that is good, true, and beautiful, and just, and right. If you turn away from him on a trajectory into eternity, what is the consequence? Well, of the many words that could be used about final judgment, Jesus here uses the word destruction. It is the opposite of God. It's the opposite of creation. It's decreation. So imagine a world without anything good, without anything right, without anything holy, without anything just, without anything beautiful. That is hell. A world where there's the opposite, fear, shame, pain, guilt, chaos, darkness. And the most frightening thing of all is eternal separation from God. Now, it's wide to get there. This road has the appearance of freedom and fullness. It's roomy, it's accommodating. Like any religion, any philosophy, anything that leads away from God, it's all welcome. It seems to be so broad, and yet the end is a prison. Listen, if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he's not the son of God, if he's not the savior of the world, then don't listen to him. But if he is, then we ignore him to our peril. But Jesus, in his kindness and in his love and in his compassion, he says, don't go. You can never accuse Jesus of being vague. He's not like, hey, guys, there are many roads. Just choose, be true to yourself. Just whatever, just vibes. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say that. 
It's been said, clarity is kindness, right? Well, Jesus could not be more clear here. He says, don't go down that road. Choose instead the road of not wide destruction, but narrow abundance. Now, what does he mean by narrow? Why why is the road that I should take narrow? Well, in a word, it's narrow because Jesus alone is the gate. There are not many roads that lead to God. There's only one. It is through Jesus. Any philosophy, any teaching that says it doesn't matter which way you, you, you take is the very opposite of what Jesus teaches here. I remember uh, many years ago when I first became a Christian uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area where, as I've said many times before, everybody believes in two things, science and crystals. That's the Bay Area in a nutshell. And uh, many of my friends, they were offended. They were, they were losing it that I became a Christian. They were so angry. And one of my friends, his name was Aaron. We were getting coffee together, as we would often do, philosophizing. And he said, Tim, let me tell you the parable of the blind man and the elephant. You guys heard this? Anyone heard this? It's, it's often an illustration that people use to say, look, everyone, you know, will end up at the truth in the end. So the parable goes like this. There are five blind men and an elephant. One felt the trunk and he thought, oh, like, well, life really, the truth really feels like this. It feels like a trunk. And the other person's grabbing a tusk. Like, no, it's, 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 it's more firm. You know, no, th- this is the truth. And the other's grabbing the leg and the other the tail. And I can't remember, is it four or five? The other's like the back. And usually that parable's used like, see, we're all blind. We're all just grabbing at different things, but it's all one elephant. The problem with that parable is that even though in the parable, the five people are blind, guess who has the truth? The storyteller, it's an elephant. It's an, it's an elephant. There is one truth. And anyone says that there's, there's no absolute truth, guess what? They're claiming that they're true. It's a contradiction. Jesus says without apology, there's a narrow road. There's only one way that leads to life. Now, we don't like to think of anything in our lives as being narrow. We would consider it an insult to be called narrow-minded. Now, there is a bad kind of narrow-mindedness. That's when you refuse to acknowledge certain truths or you refuse to acknowledge the bigger picture and you have tunnel vision. But Jesus means the narrow gate in the sense that it's the only way, it's the only solution. If there's only one solution for something, it's not narrow to believe that, if that is in case the truth. Nothing else can give you eternal life other than Jesus Christ. And notice, once you enter the narrow gate, the road is narrow. The path you take is narrow. Now, practically, we know this to be true. We're familiar with the need for narrow paths. Anyone in this room who's gotten married, you narrowed your path. When you made your your wedding vows, you said, I am going to commit to you and you are going to be my spouse till death do us part. You narrowed your, your path. Even practically, if you want to get good at an instrument, if you want to enjoy the beauty of playing music, you have to narrow yourself and your discipline and your focus in order to excel at that particular instrument. 
Well, in a similar way, as a Christ follower, we're called to make that decision to trust in Christ, and then we must continue to focus on Christ. So Jesus describes here with the gate and the path, the need for conversion to Christ, and then continuation with Christ. And the choice must be yours. It is personal. It's not a cultural decision or a family decision. Maybe you're here and perhaps your parents are Christian, your grandparents, your friends. Maybe your spouse is a Christian. We know a lot of people who come to church, their spouse is a Christian, they're not. And they say, as long as I'm within the vicinity of other Christians, or perhaps I come in the long lineage of other Christians, then I guess I'm kind of by osmosis, I'm good. Friend, that is not the case. You must decide for yourself which road will you take. Very rarely will it be the popular decision. For Jesus tells us few are willing to take the gate and the path. So the logic of, well, everyone's doing it, should never be the criteria by which you measure your life. You cannot find comfort in popularity. Jesus is the narrow gate. And there are few who will make that decision. But it's the way of narrow abundance. It really is the path that leads to life. On many occasions in the gospel accounts, Jesus will describe to us this is narrow path, but he will also acknowledge the blessing of that path. He says in the gospel of Mark, truly I say to you, chapter 10, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, underline that, and in the age to come, eternal life. It's the path of narrow abundance. It's through Christ and only through Christ that you can have life. And it is in walking with Christ, that is the way of life. But it is the path that leads to true abundance. So Jesus is emphasizing here the importance of beginning and continuing your life with Jesus through faith. And as a church, we must emphasize both. There are some Christians that, you know, they only emphasize decisions for Christ, but they're not making disciples of Christ then there are others who only emphasize maturity, but they're not out there sharing the gospel. Can we just simply say, we're into both. We want to evangelize the lost and edify the body. We want people converting to Christ and we want people continuing with Christ. We want decisions for Christ and we want disciples of Christ. Amen? It's not rocket science. It's beginning and continuing with Christ. And the reason we must be careful to continue is because the broad road still calls us. There are still the temptations of that wide path. And there are people who will try to get you to take it again and again. And in particular, they're called false prophets. They're tricky because they make the broad road look like the right road, but Jesus blows their cover and in doing so leads us to the second thing you need to know about why your decision about Jesus matters. First, there are two ways to approach eternity. 
the wide path that leads to destruction, or the narrow gate, which is Christ, that leads to life. But secondly, there are two ways to approach Jesus. What do I do with Jesus in particular? How do I approach him? Jesus uses another powerful illustration to show us that there are two ways of approaching him, and they are revealed in the nature and characteristic of our lives, and they reveal something very important. He says in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, notice he's focusing on the nature and character. They are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. First, there's a clear warning against false prophets. Everyone is called to discern where to put them to the test. People who say, no, this is the way that leads to life, or this is the truth, but it contradicts Christ. You need to put them to the test, and there are two ways in which you can do so. A doctrinal test, what they believe, and an ethical test, how they behave. So what do they actually believe? How do they actually behave? We need to test these things. Even the miraculous in their lives, even if they display some charisma and power and yet don't stand the two tests of what they actually believe. Does it line up with Christ? How do they actually behave? Does it line up with Christ? If they fail that test, don't listen to them and don't follow them. Here's why I think that's important for us. There are many, and there may be some of you, who are far too easily impressed with spectacle, with an event or a particular experience that you may be led away from the truth. I think of countless times I've spoken with people in the different places we've lived and the churches I've pastored where they went to this event or heard this person on YouTube and they, they saw something spectacular and it was so compelling to them that they started following these kind of cult-like teachers. And say, well, does that line up with the truth of Jesus? Like, well, no, not necessarily, but you can't deny the power of what they're doing. I'd ask them, are they living as Jesus said to live? Well, not necessarily, but you cannot deny the spectacular stuff they're doing. I'd say, don't trust them. Because they don't pass the test. Jesus says you can recognize them by their fruit. What their lives actually produce. And just as trees show their nature by their fruit, you can tell what type of tree it is by the fruit that it bears. The same is true for people. If there is no fruit in the biblical sense, they're to be rejected. The interesting thing about the illustration of two trees is from afar off at first glance, you might see something on the outside of that tree, but upon further inspection, you notice that something is wrong. 
And Jesus makes this very clear that there could be this spectacular fireworks on the outside, but a dead heart on the inside. Look at what he says in verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who comes to me or says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Listen to what Jesus is saying. There are those who may have a little bit of spectacle in their lives. They're they're claiming that there is some sort of supernatural power at work. But notice what these false teachers are not mentioning in their description. Anything that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Anything that Jesus described as what would mark or characterize a true follower of Jesus. And he ends by saying, very clearly, I never knew you. Those are sobering words. For it tells us that there will be those who, to one degree or another, would consider themselves as being right and in the right. And there may be some spectacular things in their lives and yet no relationship with Jesus Christ. Sobering. Religious activity is no replacement for faith. Even if there's the spectacular. If there's no Jesus, there will be no fruit. Notice they all approach Jesus, but the way in which they do so is on the basis of what they have done for him, not what Jesus has done for them. They're only concerned with what they have done, not what Jesus has done. There are only two ways to approach Jesus. You can approach Jesus on the basis of what you have done, or you can approach Jesus on the basis of what he has done. But here's the warning. If you approach Jesus on the basis of your own works, on what you can do, your own religiosity, even if you declare yourself to be a good person, there is no hope. Because under his perfect judgment, there is no truly good person. And there is no good work that can justify us before a holy God. So how am I saved? By trusting in what Jesus has done for me, not in what I can do for Jesus. This drives us back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who realize they have a spiritual bankruptcy and that without Jesus, they do not have what is necessary. 
Jesus makes it very clear that mere religious activity is not enough. It's a new heart that bears fruit, Christ-like character. So you might say, well, how do I know which camp I'm in? Well, are you basing your acceptance before God on the basis of what you have done? Or are you basing your acceptance before God on the basis of what he has done for you in Jesus Christ? See, following Jesus means fruitfulness out of a new heart that he gives you, abundant life that springs up as we submit to and surrender to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our inner life is transformed from the inside out. True Christian living is acting upon who you truly are in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how are you approaching Jesus? Notice, everyone meets Jesus in the end, just to be clear. We always pray like, oh Lord, I pray they meet Jesus. Everyone will meet Jesus. (laughs) He is the ultimate and final judge of all. The question is, how will we approach Jesus when we meet him? Because here in Matthew 7, Jesus himself gives us examples of people who meet Jesus. But they did not know him. It's not religiosity. It is truly relationship by faith. So how do I know? How how will I approach Jesus on that day? Well, How are you approaching him today? How will you respond today to the word that you are hearing? Will you respond on the basis of what you can do for him? Hey, God, I've been really good this week. I've crushed it. The week before, not so good. But man, I really nailed it this week. My wife doesn't think so, but I, I think I was pretty fantastic. Or are you approaching him on the basis of, God, I got nothing to bring to the table, but I confess that you, Lord Jesus, have done everything for my salvation so that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all righteousness and accept me, 1 John 1, 9. How do I approach Jesus on that day? Well, how are you approaching him today? Approach him on the basis of the gospel. Approach him on the basis of what he has done for you. And that is what produces fruit in your life. And we must be careful to continue to do so because even for the believer, the temptation of the broad road still calls us. The temptation of of man-made religion still calls us. The temptation of lawlessness still calls us to emphasize a self-reliance and a self-focus that our culture is steeped in. But there will be a final judge and a final judgment, and that leads to a final set of alternatives which reveal, again, why your decision about Jesus matters. Third, there are two ways to build your life. There are two ways to approach eternity. There's the broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road, which is Christ, that leads to life. 
There are two ways to approach Jesus, either on the basis of what you have done or on the basis of what he has done. And third, there are two ways to build your life. We're all building something. We're all building houses. We're all building our lives. The question is, what are we building on? What is our life based upon? Everyone is building something. So Jesus finally, in his set of alternatives, describes it like this. Therefore, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There is a storm coming. There is a storm coming. And it will test the very foundation of your life. Are you building on sand or stone? If you do not respond to, trust in, and act upon the truth of Jesus It is like building your house on the sand. It will look great. It might even be a very beautiful house. But it will not last when the storm comes. Jesus is to be heard and obeyed. And as we do, we build a life that can withstand even the greatest storm. Now, this raises a question for some people. Wait a minute. Does this mean I'm saved by my own works? Does this say that I'm saved by my own building, my own effort? No. What appears first, the rock or the house? The rock. The builders did not create the rock. The builder builds upon the rock. We are called to do what Jesus says by the grace and power that Jesus provides. Yes, the way is narrow. Yes, the way is hard. But Jesus supplies the grace and strength that we need to do it. It's what we might call a happy obedience and a costly faithfulness. Building your house on the rock. It gives us this picture that your life with Jesus, the way you relate to Jesus is not to be sporadic, short-term, or feelings-based, but committed and lifelong. Or to use a simple analogy that was used with me many, many years ago, Tim, is your life going to be like a match or a candle? Right? When you strike a match, it's really exciting. It's like, whoa! But it burns you or itself very quickly. But if that match lights a candle, the candle remains for a very long time. 
It's very easy for people in a moment of enthusiasm to get really excited. And this happens often in the life of a church. A new person will come and be like, oh my gosh, I love this. Everyone's like affirming me and welcoming me. And I found the message to be very positive. And like, sure, I, I, I think I'll associate with myself with Jesus for a while. But a few weeks later, the going gets tough. And it turns out they never really made that decision in the first place. They can't deny that it was an exciting moment in their life. But nothing lasted. Your decision about Jesus is not meant to be short-term, sporadic, or simply based on a high of emotion, but based on truth. To enter the gate and to continue. To abide in the vine through which produces fruit. To build and continue to build your life on the rock. Because in the end, it will either be a crash that is great or a life that can stand up to absolutely anything. And perhaps this is why the crowds were so amazed. It says in verse 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds, crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Friends, Jesus presents himself as the final judge, the final authority, the one to whom we must give an account. And these are heavy words about judgment. But let's remember the one who is speaking them. The same Jesus who judges is the same Jesus who has provided for our ability to stand in that judgment. The one whose very purpose in coming into our world was to deliver us from the judgment that our sin deserves that we might inherit the life that he deserves. See, here's the gospel, friends. The son of God, the eternal son of God, he narrowed himself when he came into our world. He humbled himself. He became a man and he gave it all that we might have life to the full. He took on the cross when he died for our sin, Jesus took the one storm that could ultimately destroy us, which was the judgment against our sin so that we could live. That means that any storm that you face in this life, though notice in the parable, even the house built on the rock still has to endure the rising tide and the winds and the waves and the rain that beat on the house, but that house will not fall. Why? Because it's built on the rock. That means, friends, that if your life is built on Jesus, no matter how hard the storm is that you are going through, no matter how difficult the suffering and persecution and trial that you face, they will never take your salvation from you. And in the end, God will work all things together for good for those who love him and were called according to his purpose, because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you will enter into glory and say to him, you did all things well. That is the truth of those of you who build your house upon the rock. 
we are called to decide what we will do with Jesus. If you are not yet a Christian, the road that you are on is either leading to death or it is leading to life. And today, Jesus plainly makes clear the difference between the two. You must make a decision. Some of you might say, well, tomorrow, next week, 2024. But tomorrow is not promised to you. And your heart will only grow harder as you continue to put it off. Even your indecision is a decision. And Christ in his love and his mercy, he calls you to choose today. Tomorrow is not promised to you. For some of you, it may have, have gone on so long. You've heard this many, many times. It's been years and years and years and you might feel like, well, it's too late for me now. Listen, if you're alive, and I assume you are, if you can hear my voice, if you have a pulse right now, it's not too late. It doesn't matter how long you've lived your life or how old you are. Because your acceptance before God is not on the basis of what you've done. It's on the basis of grace. You have an opportunity today to trust in Jesus and know the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. I was reminded of this truth three weeks ago when my brother and I visited Illinois. My mother, who recently moved back there, she was born and raised in Illinois. She became a Christian out in California in the 70s, as I know a few of you did. Her other, she had two brothers. One of them became a Christian sometime later. But her youngest brother always rejected Christ. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. He moved to another state and was functionally, practically estranged from the family. I haven't seen him in over 20 years. But something happened. Those seeds of truth that were planted in him that he rejected finally bore fruit because through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and through the nudging of a very serious surgery, <laughs> he finally accepted Jesus Christ and we baptized him three weeks ago at 68 years old. And he said, he's like, man, I've wasted so much of my life. Like, I've got nothing to offer to God. And we're like, neither did the thief on the cross. What does the thief on the cross have to offer Jesus? Well, Jesus, I can give you 60 seconds of fidelity. <laughs> and Jesus is like, oh, I don't know. You drive a hard bargain, sure. I'll give you a minute of, no. We bring nothing to the table. 
That's why it's called the gospel of grace. But you must choose. And if you're hearing this now, it's not too late. There will come a day when it is too late. You must choose now. And if you are a Christian, Jesus asks you, are you doing what I've told you to do? Or has the broad road tempted you and distracted you to where you're not putting into practice what he's taught? And you've drifted away from him. Today is an opportunity for repentance to turn back to him and to continue to build, to continue to do what he's called you to do. Some of you have been avoiding the obedience he's called you to. Today is a moment of decision. Some of you are caught up in patterns of sin. Today is an opportunity to turn to him once again. Some of you are discouraged because you are going through that trial. Maybe you need great comfort wondering if, man, does this narrow road really lead to abundance because you feel the storm and you feel the wind and you feel the rain. Look, Jesus never promised that the storm wouldn't come. Jesus never promised that the storm wouldn't come but that when it comes, he would be with you and carry you through to glory. And you can take great comfort that your life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. So decide today, all day, every day, until your last day, to follow Jesus Christ. It is worth it. Let me pray that we would do so even now. Heavenly Father, I pray first for those who are on the fence, as it were, who have not yet made that decision for themselves to trust in your son Jesus and what he did on the cross and dying for their sin and rising again from the grave to give them new life. I pray that right now they would say from their heart, Jesus, save me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you have done for me. I trust you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would not wait another moment to do so. Father, for those of us who have drifted or have been drifting, I pray that you would call us back now to take up the work of building again on the rock. May we stop avoiding what you've called us to. May you break the patterns of compromise and sin. For those who are discouraged, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put courage into their hearts because they're facing the storm that they are not facing something that is strange or foreign to what your word says, but that you are with them and you will carry them through. May they take great comfort knowing that they are built 
on the immovable, unshakable rock of Jesus Christ that not even the gates of hell can prevail against. Spirit of God, would you meet us now as we decide what we're gonna do with the truth about Jesus? In his name, amen.